All right, guys, welcome back to the Buck Fever Podcast. I'm Noah. Jake. That's Jake. And with us today, we have a special guest. Uh, you've actually been on our old podcast, and you've made a couple appearances in some of our other videos on our channel, um, written some articles that are up on our website. Pat Colby, welcome to the new podcast. Great to be here, fellas. Yeah. Sweet we- studio. Thank Excited you, thank you. <clears throat> yeah, we, uh, you know, we we built the new studio with the idea of having guests in mind. You know, we wanted to, we actually downsized in space quite a bit, so maybe that wasn't the best. But as far as the decor and you know all of the equipment goes, we've really tried to make some upgrades here to facilitate bringing on some guests. So thank you for coming back on. Um, yeah, you bet. Almost yeah. didn't come down tonight, but then I was like, ah, talking deer hunting, let's go. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's it's always tough because, I mean, it's just crazy with everybody's schedules. Everybody's busy, you know, and, and so trying to make all that stuff fit together and work. But, yeah, it, I, it seemed like in talking today and kind of figuring out if we were going to be able to do this or not, it was like, yeah, this will, it'll be a good time. So, yeah, this, this episode is going to be a lot about um, hunting public land hunting on new ground, hunting out of state. Um, something about Colby is he's a, a very humble guy. So he, he's, you know, never going to claim to be the world's leading expert in anything, but uh, he, he's got a lot more experience on this stuff than we do. And he's, he's got a pretty good track record, pretty respectable. So uh, thought we'd bring you on and, and I'm sure you'll be on you can be on as many times as you want, but for the first Hope to be one, on quite I, a bit. I, yeah, coming I, up, yeah. I figure this would be a, a good place to start. Um, we do have to apologize for anybody watching for our microphone situation. Um, Jake and I did not cheap out and only buy two microphones. We actually have enough. We we have four, so we have more than enough. Um, just some technical difficulties, of course. That's. Yep. seems to just be the way it goes so hopefully this will be fine for now and i'll make sure to have everything worked out for the next time so we should all be good to go Um, we get four wide in here someday we got eli up here she could be real tight (laughs) (laughs) if we try and get all four of us on this couch it's gonna be tight but we team bonding we can move the table over and then we got a little ottoman that we can set down so somebody will just kind of be yeah 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 it'll it'll probably be me i'll probably be over there but i can kind of be in the corner we can maybe move the camera a little bit get things worked out we'll we'll try and get four guys in here eli's welcome anytime as well hopefully um you know even if it's got to be on on a zoom call or something we can get that all figured out and uh we're excited to have him on as well so yeah let's let's get into it so um we were just talking a little bit before we started rolling here and we had never heard the story of how you landed your first permission spot. So that's a, a private land permission spot that you've got. Yep. Um, but I mean, that's a, that's a great story to get into to kind of start this all off. Yeah. So we've been hunting, Eli and I have been hunting the same private land piece by permission, um, Southwest Wisconsin, since we've been in college, which I'm 37. So it's a long time ago. We were, <laughs> I think we thought this was our 16th year hunting down there this fall. Um, so 16 years ago, there was no Onyx, no awesome mapping software that allows you to easily find property owners and addresses and be able to pinpoint these spots really easy. So 
we went to, uh, I don't know if it was the county clerk's office or something, and picked up an old school plat book <clears throat> and literally had to kind of star pieces of property that were in the chunk size that we wanted. And then we would have to drive the vehicle around on these roads and like from the road kind of get a glimpse of what it <laughs> kind of looked like. <laughs> and then if a house was nearby, we would assume that that was the property owner's house to go knock on the door and ask for, for you know, for permission. And we did this for two straight eight hour days and got told no, 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 no. Of course. Repeatedly for, uh, you know, two days straight for eight hours. Um, the second day, the very, very last place we had pinpointed, we were kind of debating, like, dude, we've been getting rejected for almost 16 hours straight now. Like, uh, what do you think? The odds right. of this one are probably yeah. not very good. But dead-end road, it's getting dark out. We we take the, we decide to go, and we, we drive down the dead-end road, park at the person's house, and I just remember they had, like, a lower level and a balcony up above, and we go up there, knock on the door, and the wife answers, and, you know, we give our spiel about, you know, hey, two cop, poor college kids looking just for a place to hunt. Uh, we had had the routine down pretty good, but obviously it wasn't a very good sell sell job, right? We're not we're not salesmen. But uh, um, she didn't know. Um, and then all of a sudden, I hear the door up above from the balcony creak open, and the husband comes out on the balcony outside, and he's like, "Honey, what do these two guys want?" She's like, "Oh, honey, it's uh, it's two college kids looking for a place to hunt," and he's go. Well, hell no, they ain't hunting here. Well, why don't you go in and grab them two beers and tell them to meet me in the shed? We're going to find them a place to go. So me and Eli kind of look at each other like, all right. So like the old dumb and dumber quote, like, you're saying there's a chance. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so we go into this guy's shed, and we walk in, and immediately it's just like huge bucks mounted on the wall over this shed, and we're just kind of in awe. And we're sitting down talking to him for probably 30, 40 minutes, and pretty long into the conversation, he goes, you know what, guys, this neighbor that butts up to us, I bet you he'll let you on. And as soon as he said the landowner's name, I'm like, oh, my God. I was coaching high school football at the time, and this guy was the announcer for the Friday night football games, and I was up in the booth. So I had talked to him just about every game, shared you know some popcorn and some hot dogs with him, and usually the conversations always resolved around, or revolved around football. Right. Never hunting. Yeah. I didn't know he owned 200 acres and <laughs> – and like to hunt and whatnot. Um, so he's like, yeah, go over there. I bet you he'll let you hunt. So sure enough, we drive down there and knock on the door. And we obviously kind of knew each other just from that mutual, uh, you know, passing at the football games. Yep. And, and sure enough, uh, they let us on. And we've been hunting that property for 16 years ever since. And they've become really good friends of ours. And we've stayed overnight there, shared all kinds of really good meals with them. Um, they become good friends, almost like a second set of parents at least in hunting season yeah. for sure. So yeah, kind of a, just a crazy story. Yeah. That's the craziest thing ever. I mean, that's always how it goes though. Any, with anything like that, you're, it's always going to be some sort of crazy connection that is, you know, a small world type situation. That's always how it seems to work out. But man, that's, that's, that's kind of next level. That's pretty, yeah. Pretty, especially like the caliber of land that you've yeah. got and the quantity of land and just, to be able to land that by knocking on doors. Right. Yep. If you did that now, you'd probably have to knock on 200 doors before you got one yes. And who knows how even big yeah. that property would be because right. everybody's doing it. Right. And then, you know, the fact that the guy is like, you know, adamant that you can't hunt there, but he's still willing to help you out. And then that he lets you hunt at the neighbors. I mean, you're hunting <laughs> right. the same deer. 
like it's just it's a crazy story but obviously it, it's worked out and um you know i, I know you share with us it, it maybe wasn't uh, the greatest in the beginning but obviously now oh we didn't know what we were have, doing we right a, if, we, <laughs> if we have the knowledge we have now we would have killed a lot more deer let me tell you that uh just with wind direction and thermals and just how to hunt those hills uh we at, eli didn't was just kind of getting into bow hunting at that time in college and uh i had hunted nothing but flat agricultural land before that so uh jumping into the bluffs and hills of southwest wisconsin was a whole different ball game so we kind of got our butt kicked for a while but we're starting to figure it out yeah that's how it goes <laughs> man i'm still getting my butt kicked you know trying to figure it out and find my way um it's just kind of kind of part of it i guess but so you get the permission spot you you put in some years there you're, you're kind of at the same time learning how to hunt and what works not only on that property but just in general so then eventually there comes a day where you decide you know you kind of want to expand a little bit so kind of take me through that what what what's going on when you decide eh, maybe we should start and look for some new ground yeah i mean i think you can never have too many areas to hunt right um eli has since you know he continued to live and stay and he lives down in southwest wisconsin he lives about 40 minutes from that property but you know i moved back to the east central side of the state and it's a two and a half hour drive every t- two and a half three hour drive every time i want to go down there or my hunting cabin in north central wisconsin is two two and a half hours yeah um but not even just that just uh just looking for new opportunities new challenges we started like dabbling out and hunting some different public pieces five six years ago um Part of it was just trying to find some new experiences, uh, finding some different properties to, you know, maybe go shoot does. Um, And then also just our idea of we got a nice prime piece of ground, but we both work in education and a lot of our hunting time is limited to weekends. Well, you don't always get the best weather or the conditions that you want. So to not put, to still be able to go down there and hunt, and maybe you got to wait for the afternoon hunt to have great conditions and you don't want to go in there in the morning, but you still want to hunt, right? So just now we can go somewhere else. Don't care about the pressure we put on it and then save that private land piece for when the conditions are right and we can dive in. So it's super nice. Yeah. Right. To do that, not blow up your whole property or waste your whole weekend. I mean, if you're driving three hours, you want to be able to hunt. I mean, like your situation, mm-hmm. that's why you guys hunt mornings because you drive three hours. You're not going to hunt for a night. Right, yeah. Uh, the property that we hunt on is like half an hour, 40 minutes from the property that you and Eli are hunting on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just more of a north and south type of thing. I think you guys are half hour south of where we're at. So it's definitely a hike to get over that. And we saw that sometimes with turkey hunting, that when the main spot that we've got permission on isn't the greatest, sometimes you got to just branch out so that you have an opportunity to still hunt because it's fun to hunt but not blow out a a property that you're trying to preserve i bet you we had some of the best hunts this year turkey season on public land right and permission spots that we got for asking so makes a lot of cool memories doing that yeah and we had a better track record uh, admittedly getting permission spots to go turkey hunting than deer hunting i think that's kind of yeah, people are pretty protective of their deer. yeah <laughs> that's one of those things in in wisconsin especially yeah you're you're gonna have a hard time especially now mm-hmm. this many years later it's gonna be hard right. trying to get a spot to deer hunt uh but turkey hunting is you know there's still some 
availability there. But yeah, I mean, options are, are always great. That's yeah. But I'll say this too. Like once we started doing it, it was fun. It was a ton yeah. of fun to just go and dive into a place you've never been before. And now you got to try to figure it out. Um, right. Through scouting, no, and, and and boy, I'll tell you what—you you, want to expand your learning curve or like start hunting new properties, and like all of a sudden you learn things on different properties, and you can bring that back to the private land pieces you're at. Um, but yeah, it just—it was fun. It was just a, a breath of fresh air. Not that you know we're we're hunting a pretty prime piece of uh, private land, but it just was—it was something new. It was a challenge. Um, yeah, it, it just really added to deer season and it yeah. became a lot of fun just jumping onto these new properties i'm not even if it was two times a year five times a year seven sits um it, it was a lot of fun and a new challenge jumping on some of these new public pieces oh of course so let's say you are you and i am me and i'm looking to try and hunt a, a new public spot in 2023 here so coming up in september I'm looking to get on a new spot. What kind of advice would you be giving me? Like, I mean, where do I start? Uh, some of the, a lot of the pieces we looked at, um, we would take the mindset of what is going to suck for other people. What's going to be overlooked? Um, big hills. If you got a park and you look up and you got to climb three, 400 feet of elevation, I guarantee you're eliminating 95% of the people. Yeah. Um, if there's water and you got to put on a set of hip waders or get in a canoe, you're eliminating 95% of the people. Sometimes we have found that small pieces have very overlooked because everyone's looking for that block of two, three, 400 acres of public. Right. But that little 18 over there, everybody drives by it because they think, ah, it's not that good. It's just mm -hmm. a small little piece. And we've had some actually some pretty good luck on some small pieces. Um, seeing deer, not maybe necessarily harvesting them but getting opportunities um and maybe shooting a couple does so that's uh kind of where we start is what is going to eliminate you know 75 80 90 percent of the people if you got this great piece of 300 acres with all kinds of great access and flat land i can guarantee you it's going to be loaded with other hunters mm -hmm. um, people are lazy right and that's not only good advice as far as avoiding other people, but also finding where the big bucks are going to be at and where the deer are going to be at in general, because wherever there's less pressure is where they're going to be. So it all kind of correlates. If you can go where the hunters aren't going to be, that's going to be better opportunity for you to be kind of in your own spot and also a better chance at seeing deer and seeing big deer too. Yeah. And maybe we didn't exactly start that way. You know, we probably hit a bunch of those easier pieces as well, but it, it didn't take long to find out that. Oh, you know, you see old soda cans or, you know, a beer bottle over here, or someone's seat cushion. You're like, yeah, there's obviously been some traffic here or quite a bit of traffic. Or, you know, you'd see other hunters and be like, no, nope, this isn't what we're looking for. You got to try to find those pieces that haven't been pressured a lot. Right. So, so if it's summertime and you're going to be looking to go and find some new properties to hit, are you going to start out like on an app? Yeah, we're going to start for sure on... Uh, we use Onyx. That's just our choice of what we're using. Uh, we've been using that for years, ever since it came out. And we're gonna we spend a lot of times or a lot of time, you know, scrolling through maps, uh, um, looking for just all kinds of different pieces. And then if we have any open time, like uh, we've spent a lot of days even in season. Like, hey, if it's raining in the morning or maybe the conditions are 
aren't right, we won't hunt and we'll drive around and go hike a new piece of public. Maybe we'll carry our bow just in case something happens, but right. Um, and we'll just kind of do our scouting on those days when it's not. We don't feel it's a great day to be in a, a tree stand on our prime, um, you know, prime private piece. So, so you kind of start mobile. You pick out a couple of target spots and then yep. go and just check them out. And uh, I mean, obviously, you kind of have to do that. You you can only learn so much from an app. Even as Correct. good as they are yeah. today. There's, I can't tell you how many pieces that look phenomenal on a map, and then you get in there, and it's just like, it's thicker than hair on a dog, or it's swampy, wet, like just brutal. Um, or what you thought was a nice, like, oak savanna is not. Or <laughs> just even from Minnesota this year, when I was there, I had picked out a spot, and it was in some pines, and... I got in there, and I'll tell you what, I just remember getting to a point, and I'm like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And then I looked down, and I had about 2 million burrs on my pants, oh. the real kick in the nuts. Uh, it took me about, I don't know, a couple hours to pick all those off. Like, right there, when I looked down and I saw about the million burrs, I'm like, yeah, that's just, this is not <laughs> not the place I <laughs> expected that's... it to be when I had zeroed in on Onyx and said, that's where I'm going to go sit this oh. morning. I'm ready to quit if I get, like, three birds on my sleeve. I'm like, yep, that's it. I'm done. Just ruins your day. Yep. The yep. worst is I didn't even realize it until I, like, had looked down and I saw my pants, and then I looked like any exit route of out of where I were or where I was was, like, <laughs> it didn't pay to start picking them <laughs> off because no. there was going to be about two million more yeah. coming on the on the walk out. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's... Yeah, it was brutal. That's the worst. So when you're when you're going into these public land spots, what's your setup looking like? Like what kind of tree stand? Are you sitting on the ground or what are you rocking? So we've been rocking climbers. I know you know the big thing now is the saddles and and the hang and hunt. Uh, maybe I'm just cheap, but I <laughs> I like the I have a hawk climber. Eli runs a summit. He's been running summits for years and he loves it. Um, I love the absolutely love the comfort you get in a climber. Once you are up there set in a tree. You can sit in those things all day long. I mean, you can fall asleep, take a nap. They are comfortable. Um, it's not this small. I'm a big dude. Like, it's not this small little platform I have to sit all day on. Um, they are heavier, um, but I don't really don't mind lugging it around. I mean, it, for me, it's usually climber or on the ground. And I got no problem now sitting on the ground either, especially if it's like your first or second time in and you're just trying to figure the, figure the area out. Um, I've spent too many days dragging my climber in and never <laughs> actually going up in a tree. I just yeah. sit on the ground and kind of want to see what the area has to offer. And then I end up, by the end of the day, I look down at my uh, Onyx track and I've walked five miles with a climber on my back <laughs> and have never even gone up a tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jake and I have talked a little bit about, like, oh, is it worth investing in a saddle? And then even on private land, if you just have that saddle, you could hunt a different tree even in the same area every single day. So theoretically, it, you could use a food plot as an example, but let's say you have a circular food plot, you could theoretically hunt it in any wind condition because you got a mm -hmm. saddle, you just pick whichever tree you want that day for whatever the wind is gonna look like and then just go with that. So, I mean, you know, is it is, is it worth it to maybe switch over to, to something like that even on private is that something you know you obviously have the equipment already for it is that something you ever do on private just take your climber in and oh and for set sure up in a spot yep for sure i mean we've got all of our permanent sets that are you know pre-hung we do all that in the summer 
but what happens when you're you go up there and you're sitting a spot and then the trail that you thought in july or august that comes 20 yards from your stand all of a sudden they're using that trail that's 60 yards away yeah well like instead of tearing down that whole set that is actually in a pretty good spot this just might not be the year mm -hmm. you can jump over there with your mobile set whether that's a climber or, or saddle or, yeah. or hanging hunt uh hang on so yeah we do that a lot so you'd say there's a significant advantage in having the ability to at least be somewhat mobile even on private ground yeah i don't know why you wouldn't want to be like why continue to sit the same stand and watch deer 60 yards away continue to use the same path and then go you know they just didn't come close enough like be aggressive get over there that that's where they're traveling right now and yeah we've, we've really taken that approach the last couple of years right so what are you know looking at you obviously have a fair amount of experience on private ground but then also plenty of experience on on public ground what are some of the similarities and, and differences between the two just hmm. for somebody looking to you know get into it it's, it's like is there something you need to watch out for maybe you wouldn't think of on public ground that's different than being on private well i just with public you can't hunt public the same way you do private in terms of if if you're in any private that has egg and you're used to sitting field edges like field edges on public are just not usually going to work okay um, you got to dive in there a little bit further i mean that's what the average joe that's going out on public is doing he's trying to hunt it the same way they hunt their private and they're sitting on field edges and it's great that you can see 400 yards but i don't just want to see deer you want to get the goal right is to get close enough to to kill them so yeah. you gotta sometimes be a lot more aggressive and dive in there um i would say we're probably not as aggressive on our private ground because you have the luxury of when you can go in there um and and save spots public you're probably being more aggr aggressive right like you don't not that you don't care if you blow it up but if you're only there for two days and it's not yours like you technically kind of don't care if you blow it up like uh yeah you want to be aggressive and put yourself in the best spot whereas if it's the private ground and i know i got another four weekends ahead to be able to hunt it i'm gonna be a little bit more passive and maybe not jump into my best spots if the conditions aren't right but if i'm going to minnesota for the weekend or any other state for that matter if i know i got four days like i got to make it happen in four days so right. i'm going to be more aggressive in in what i'm doing yeah if that makes sense yeah so maybe more aggressive on public especially if you're on more of a time constraint and then you know kind of dealing with the, the pressure of other hunters i guess would be something um you know even if you hunt in a permission spot or on private ground that you own where other people are hunting it's a little bit easier to sort of figure out where other people are going to be hunting and that communication and stuff so um you know how do you how do you deal with other people because even if you find that spot that 95 percent of guys aren't going to be going to i'm sure inevitably you're going to run into oh, other absolutely. people out there yeah. uh it's more in your mindset like you got to go into this public land deal expecting to see other people and not be like not let that ruin your hunt or be so bummed out like you can't get into a spot and think that you're just going to have it to, but to yourself you know yeah and then when you see someone be like well today is screwed right. this sucks i better get out of here like you got to go in expecting and knowing to see other people and being okay with it yeah um yeah it might ruin your hunt for that day but you might have to climb down and you might have to go over a couple hundred yards and adjust that's just if you have that mindset going into the day it doesn't you know 
puts you in a state of mind where it ends up ruining your hunt. Yeah. You just it's part of the ball game on public. And they've got every right to be there as you. Um is it frustrating? Yeah. But um, you know, I, I can recall one time it was raining and we were on a place of public southwest Wisconsin and we got in there an hour before light and you know thought it was gonna be the cat's meow of a spot and well didn't see anything the first hour and here eight o'clock comes and I see a guy come it's raining. He comes up and sets 75 yards away from me starts cutting <laughs> branches down pulls out a blue tarp and makes a covering over this ground blind he made with this blue tarp and sets up 75 yards away and i'm like okay now this is one of these instances okay. i climb down and tuck my tail and go back to the truck <laughs> but <laughs> i mean isn't it to begin with isn't it illegal to cut stuff down on public land or is oh uh, yeah i believe so uh, but you know and then the blue tarp and the, yeah that's that's <laughs> Mm. kind of backtracking a little bit about the climber i'd have i've never really used one but is it hard to find trees with no limbs to get like high it, enough up it, there yeah, it, it can be yeah that's that's the real downfall with climbers you gotta have the perfectly straight yeah. tree and it can limit not only what tree you can be in in a specific area but also sometimes like what height you can get to where you're like right. dang it if i could only be like five more feet high yeah um or you know but Sometimes you just got to give what is there, and if you can only get 12, 14 feet off the ground, yeah, that's what that's what you go with. Uh, I think a lot of times we like to be 20, 22, 25 feet up in the climbers. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, do you have any any notable stories of any interactions with people in public? I know that can be something if you're new to hunting public that you're like, well, I, you know, I don't know. I don't really want to try to run into anybody because I don't know if they're going to be upset or what I would say. You know, do you have any sort of interactions like that? How do those usually go? Every person I've ran into on public land has been awesome. They've been great. I've had no, like, bad interactions with people. Most people are super friendly. Sometimes you exchange some information, uh, talk about, you know, where you've been in the area. Um, sometimes if you see guys at the at the parking lot, I like to say, hey, where are you going? I don't want to screw up your hunt. Here's where I'm thinking about going. I, I'd rather, like, give that information out and try not in, to mess up both of our hunts. Right. Then, uh, you know, be a dick and not talk yeah. to the guy and just barge in there yeah. or something. So Cause even, you know, if, even if I'm walking to a spot and I someone beat me there, well, I'm, I'm not going to go ripping past the guy. I'm going to alter my plans and go somewhere else and again it's just mindset like don't let that ruin your hunt right don't let that ruin your day before it even started like just it's part of what you expect when you're going to public mm -hmm. so because i know even on our property it's a little bit smaller and yeah on our property we'll hunt 150 200 yards as the crow flies from each other and then on public the mindset is always like well i'm gonna be right on top of that guy if i'm a couple hundred yards you know like on private land you're willing to do that and not think anything bad of it but then on on public land you you expect to have your own you know half a square mile block all to yourself it just doesn't usually work out that way i remember one year up at our cabin it was early season and these bucks were so dialed into these specific acorn trees me and my brother sat 44 yards apart <laughs> with the bows yeah man did it work yeah he shot well he shot and missed one and then there were three three bucks in there there was a really big one a 13 pointer and then this eight pointer he shot at the 13 
I thought he hit it, and the eight-pointer ran by me, and I drew back on it, and I'm like, I really don't want to shoot this deer, but it would be super awesome to double up with my brother on the same day. And I didn't shoot, and then I called him on the radio, and I'm like, did you get him? And he, no, he missed him. Mm. And uh, just to finish that that story, I was coaching football at that time, and I had to be back for a Sunday night coaches meeting, and my brother was down in the dumps, and he wanted to, like, you know, he wanted to go home too. I'm like, get your freaking rear end back in that same tree stand. Those bucks are going to be back in there tonight eating acorns. Right. I'm driving home at 2.30 and he calls me. He's like, dude, I shot that same 13-pointer. No way. <laughs> shot him that afternoon at 2.30. Oh, and it was like 80 degrees out. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Oh. What month was that in, did you say? What's that? What What time of year was that? It was like opening weekend. Oh, 2.30. Really? He's in 2.30 in the afternoon, 80 degrees. Five yeah. hours before it closes. Yeah. Man, that's something kind of like what we were talking about last week. Like sometimes if you can just get on them, like just go do it, you know? Sometimes opening weekend, you just... If you can stand the heat and the bugs. Yeah, and you just know where they're going to be. Like, just go do it. And sometimes it just works out like that. That's that's a crazy story. It, that's always that's always how it goes. Just like we were saying earlier. It's just always it's always something like that. It's not how you think it's going to yeah, be. No. It's, I mean, how many times is it, you know, the 25-degree perfect northwest wind in your perfect set at right. 8 o'clock, buck chases. I mean, yeah, there's probably a million stories like that, but... Uh, it's usually never the perfect scenario. No. It's all these weird times, especially with these big bucks, you know. Mm-hmm. I haven't killed one buck in November. With, yeah. With the bow, at least. Like, the best time of year. Yeah, I've, all of them have been opening day. Mm-hmm. I've never, I mean, I've had a few hunts where, like, you think it's going to be perfect and you see some deer, but nothing like, you. everybody talks about the rut. Right. Like, yeah. Oh, they're going to be flying all over, and I've yeah. really never had that yet. You're more of a late October guy, though, aren't you, Colby? Like, Halloween... No, like, recently, I guess. Uh, I had never killed a buck in October, period, until 2020, and then I shot one on Halloween, and then this last year was October 29th. Oh, yeah, so it was just kind of recently getting Just recently, yeah. Otherwise, October uh, most of them November or within the first two weeks of the season. That's that's more like Jake. Yep. Yeah. That's I, what I, I love early season. Yeah. Favorite time, by far. Early season better than late season? Absolutely. Yeah. Early season over the rut. I think oh, if you wow. have a, I think if you have a permission spot like you and I do, where you can pattern deer and know where they're gonna be, it's a lot. It, early season's yeah. just as good as the rut, in my opinion, for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's better. They're not spooked. They're, they're, they're gullible. They don't know what's going on. And so you think it's better because of having more of a pattern on them? They're not gonna be as crazy running around, or yeah, I just they're bed to food and. It, it's a pretty simple equation. They're betting and they're going somewhere to eat and go sit between that. You know, yeah. if you having a general idea where they're going to bed and where they're going to eat, either get on the edge of the food source or get between the food source and the bedding and, you know, hope they're coming on the right trail. Right. But you get to that rut period that you just don't know. I mean, a camera picture from an hour before you get into your tree means almost nothing because that yeah. buck could be on the complete opposite side of the property within five minutes. Mm-hmm. So, you well, just don't know where they're at. Right. I mean, it's a fun time of year to hunt. Some magical stuff happens, right? You see some really cool stuff when you get these bucks dogging these does or big groups of bucks running through the woods. It's an awesome time to be in the woods. Um, but I give me early season. Give me the first two weeks of the season. Well, because even this year, oh, you guys yeah. saw a ton early season. Eli shot one early season, and then, you know, they were more on a pattern. You kind of had them figured out a little bit, and then – rut comes along and you shoot one maybe 
technically a free rod kind of on the edge there but that was another just like sporadic he just rattled and then five minutes later there he was on a string right to your tree so it definitely makes sense like that early season just being a little bit more predictable having a little bit of a simpler equation like you said but obviously both times can be fantastic and this is completely side note but give me early season and 75 degrees i'd rather like wear one layer and sweat a little bit and maybe deal with swatting a few bugs but running a thermosol usually takes care of that i would rather do that than freaking bundle up in six layers and freeze your ass off and a hundred and then just be shivering and be like oh i gotta make it another three hours like a hundred percent early season it's like all right i know i gotta be in the tree by like two three o'clock i'm gonna sit till seven you get in there early you really don't expect that early movement but all right you settle in you're amped up because the season is just starting you you're expecting to see deer yeah um you gonna know kind of the direction they're gonna be coming from and it's just i really enjoy that i know give me that give me that warm weather all day long (laughs) i hate being cold lately that's kind of been the pattern for us too i mean i shot that one two years ago and then this year's second season i had one of our shooters come out with like 20 minutes left of daylight Uh second weekend he's just out there eating beans Uh uh-huh they just i mean they're they're patternable way more patternable they're not spooked or anything and i was always worried about the whole sweat thing because i sweat a ton and when i shot that buck i was just drenched oh yeah absolutely drenched (laughs) in sweat and i'm like i am not seeing a single deer the whole night and it all ended well but right sometimes that's the drag of the rut though is like oh here we go we got to get on my seven layers again my big boots or usually i don't layer up that way when i'm going to the tree but it's like jam pack the backpack full with as many layers as i can so that when i do get to the tree i can put them on and it's just like yeah for us like you said when you get to the rut we like i i can really only hunt weekends so sometimes you're kind of looking at the calendar and you're like this might be it like you get to a certain point during the rut where you realize okay the pressure's kind of on i'm running out of weekends here and then you're sitting in the tree and things aren't going well you're not seeing anything or your cameras sort of start to fall off a little bit and i think mentally that can be really tough whereas early season if things aren't going very well it's okay it's a long season we got a lot of time left but during the rut it can be tough too just like well then mentally. The, the rut you open up your phone and you take one scroll through social media and you're like yep. everyone in the world's killing a giant everyone. Oh, what's wrong with me what yeah. am i doing you know i'm not even seeing deer so. exactly no i i agree that early season it can be it can be great we gave some credit to the late season in the last episode too like you can kind of get back on the patterns a little bit everything that they lose throughout october into november once you get back into December they kind of pick up their patterns a little bit again and you can kind of get back to that simple equation a little bit more but go fill your freezers right yeah but a lot of times those those best late season days are the coldest days yes and again now we're back to the whole thing like do you want to hunt in 10 degrees or you want to hunt in 75 yeah (laughs) and mentally like it you know you're kind of more at that point especially if you're hunting with a gun it's going to be antlerless only you're just not it's not the excitement of the early season it's a so, long season too i mean yeah it's like three and a half months by then you've been you yeah, can hunt and grind right. for a long time yeah most of us are hunting every weekend it's like jeez. Mm-hmm. so obviously you know you've had um, a lot of success on your permission spots and, and done some other scouting um, within the state 
but especially in recent years, you've kind of ventured out and done some more out-of-state hunting as well. Um, so I would assume that that's kind of going to be similar to finding new ground within the state, but I'm guessing that's more of a, a bigger undertaking trying to get on public or get on permission spots in a whole other state. Yeah, it's it, we started, uh, I'd say, five years ago was the first time I went out of state. Um, I went to Minnesota, me and my buddy Brad, we went for their gun season and got our butts kicked. <laughs> I think we went for three days. Uh, we drove back across the state with our tail tucked between our legs. We got our butts kicked. But you have to, like looking back, I got back home and I could not wait to go again. Yep. I, I'm one of, the, my personality is like if something kicks my butt, that just motivates me more to like go back and figure it out. Mm-hmm. I could not wait like for the next season to go back over there. And I think you just have to expect that, whether it's your first time dabbling in some new public in your home state, or if you're going to go somewhere else, like unless you've got all kinds of time and resources to like travel over there in the summer and do a bunch of scouting and hang some cameras and do all this and that. Like we were just going in blind. Like all these properties was our first time ever stepping foot in them. So we're just trying to learn as we go. But I'll tell you what, like now that I'm five years in, I have probably more spots in that state than I have in Wisconsin that I can go to because we've just been on so many different pieces. And every time you're on a new piece, you learn. It's just getting out of the whole thing. If you want to be successful on public land or out of state, you just need to get out of your comfort zone and realize you're going to fail and be okay with it and realize like you're going to learn so much from all these failures. Um, and, and that's just kind of what it's all about. Like you got to take your bumps and bumps and bruises in order to succeed. It's kind of just like anything in life. Really. Right. Um, but then every year we started going back. Like I went back in 2019, got my butt kicked again. Well, no, I did a little bit better, but, uh, and then 2020, I shot two bucks over there. So, and I don't want to hijack anything you're saying here or anything, but like one of the points that you kind of touched on a little bit there is just time. Sometimes it takes time. You might get your butt kicked the first time you go to a new spot or a new state. Jake and I had the same thing happen when we went turkey hunting in Nebraska. We tried a new spot and, you know, we learned a lot and some things went well and some things didn't go so well. I mean, the first day we had a guy almost try and kill us on the road, which was crazy. (laughs) Five minutes after being there. Yeah, literally going to the, the first time, heading off to the woods, got our camo on, we're heading off and... This guy, I don't know if he was tweaking or what was happening, but he just, he's, he we're gonna... driving down the road. All of a sudden, he's coming into our lane, and then he goes past our lane and goes off the side of the road. And Jake somehow avoided him, dodged him, hit the brakes, got out of there. And then we just watched the guy. So he goes over into our lane, and then he hits the gravel, and then must have realized that he was not in his spot anymore and then he didn't like jerk the wheel back i could just, just see him in the rear back. view he just calmly was Jeez. went back there he's like okay back to my spot but anyways you know that's not only a good lesson for hunting but also in life whether it's a new job or something you're you know if you're trying to learn something new or do something new like sometimes it just takes some time and if you keep putting in the work and the effort over enough time good things are going to come out of that you know? absolutely so i think we need to go back to nebraska yeah i think year. i think we need to spend five to six years in nebraska <laughs> maybe we can maybe we can kill a turkey even if we hit one with your car on the, like the, i would take it 
That'd be totally fine with me. Uh, no, but anyway, so um, you're looking at a different state. How do you, what's your approach when it comes to where you're going to stay? Let's say you've got no connections in, in that state. You don't know anybody over there. What, what's your approach when it comes to lodging? So this is maybe has more to do with your scenario. If you would have asked me that question when I was your guys' age and I'm 21 or 22 in college, I probably would have been pitching a tent in the nearest uh, campground because I didn't have the money to do it. Um, now that I'm a little bit older and a little bit more financially stable, we we have uh, looked to you know rent out VRBOs or Airbnbs or just find a cheap hotel. I Roughing it's fine, but I still, at the end of the day, enjoy coming back, being able to take a shower, eat a warm meal um, with the guys. But And we've gone with groups of guys, like whether it's a, a buddy or, you know, a group of three or whatever, and that helps offset the cost as well. So, Yeah, I mean, I don't want to incriminate us at all, but uh, one of our favorite parts of honey in nebraska was coming back and hitting the hot tub <laughs> it was it was some cold mornings maybe it got a little bit rainy maybe some dew on the ground and uh that you no know, it was pretty legit coming back and having a, a stable place so do you think i mean if you can afford it is it worth even if it's just a cheap hotel like is it worth having four walls and kind of a, a place to come back to it's all your level of comfort with that you know there's a lot of guys out there that do the whole camp out of the back of their truck or, or you know just get a cheap campsite at a campground there's nothing wrong with that if you know a lot of guys are successful doing that i uh i don't know i just would prefer to go back for something with four walls that's just right me. Well, we ran into those guys in Nebraska that were from Iowa, yep. and they were pinching pitch tents, and we were, it was like 28, it got down to like the 20s in May, which was kind of weird, but they were like, yeah, it's some cold mornings, but I mean, they were... Weren't they on like day 10 or 11 Yeah, I mean, they were out point? there for a long time, and they were having fun, but uh, that's that's a long day. I give them credit, but... And I could see it for some people. I think for me mentally, that it would just be a challenge to like, especially if you're not successful out there and then like just coming back and only being in a tent and then things are cold and wet and i think yeah it's a great reset and a right. rejuvenator to come back grab a shower make something at the the house to eat or grill out and just kind of have that little deer camp mentality yeah. or a nice bed to sleep in right. a nice bed to sleep in getting some you're already going on minimal sleep so having a decent bed to sleep in is uh yeah so nice. I suppose, you know, if you're going out west on an elk hunt or something, you're somewhere super remote, you're in Alaska yeah, or something, story, it's yeah. a different story. But if you're just, you know, hunting public land for whitetails or for turkeys, you don't feel like it puts you at a disadvantage at all to be coming out of the woods and, and getting into a, a nice stable spot for the night? No, actually, in... <laughs> Going back to 2020, gas was so cheap, right? It was under a dollar a gallon. Yeah. I was actually staying back in Wisconsin at Eli's and driving like an hour and a half to go hunt. So waking up at 3.30 a.m. to right. to go drive an hour and a half across the border and, and go hunt uh, and then an hour and a half back at night. But Which honestly isn't the worst. Like if we go to hunt at Jake's and we're not staying over, it's an hour, hour ten. Mm-hmm. So that's, Which is doable. It's doable. That's not the worst. The nights are a little rough when you're driving back, but... Yeah, that's true. Especially if you're going to go like back-to-back days and you're not going to stay over there. But So then when it comes to finding spots, scouting, you're pretty much going like the same sort of strategy as if it's in-state. Is there anything different you're doing being in a new spot like that? 
Nope, just trying to, you know, Minnesota is so similar to Wisconsin. So we're just trying to mimic things we do in, mm-hmm. in our own state. And depending on the terrain we're hunting, I mean, we've hunted all kinds of different terrain over there from the from the bluffs to, to river bottoms to egg country. And we luckily do the same thing a lot in Wisconsin. So we kind of know what we like or what we prefer to look for in those areas and we just try to mimic it and do the same thing over there so when it comes to like rules and regulations when it comes to buying tags is there anything that you've run into out of state that is different that's weird not really the only the only weird thing for me was when i went the first time i went to buy my license uh they didn't accept credit cards so you had to have cash and i didn't have like the 200 dollars cash in me so i had to go find an atm that's crazy. <laughs> cash so that was that was like at an in person yeah, spot, yeah. like at a fleet farm or something. Yeah, uh, is, it was like a gas station. But, oh, which okay. is crazy because now you do everything online. I never go and get anything right. in no. person. I remember it like when I was little. You know, my dad going and taking us to the fleet big farm. green I mean, tags. You can go anywhere around here, right? And then you get the tags. You, you sign do them and yeah. everything. Yeah, it was actually kind of fun. It was nice. It was like okay, I get my get my big tag and I get to wear it and. You know, but, but I mean, there was a lot of homework ahead of time, like going through and like vigorously reading the regulations yeah. and making sure you're on top of everything. That's the last thing you want to do is go over to a different state and not be doing something right by the law. That is something like even and some states have some goofy stuff from yes. you know, what I've heard. So just make sure you're f- don't show up and expect to read the regs that night. Like do some homework ahead of time. Right. right. Like, I think you take prepared. it for granted sometimes like just living in a state you kind of know what you can and can't do you grew up doing that and you don't always think about it ahead of time like a different state might have different rules and wisconsin and minnesota is pretty similar but wisconsin to another state could be completely or any state to any other state could be completely different well even when we were in nebraska i mean we were hunting those like thirteen thousand acre chunks of public and it's like we can drive on these things like in wisconsin you yeah you, you really can't do that and we're driving all the way th- you can there's a road that goes all the way through them and it's just it's crazy to there us was it. an app to download to show us like where all the roads were yeah that's right because that right we didn't even we didn't want to go in there we're like are we gonna get in trouble can yeah can we do this and yeah so there's definitely some of that stuff it's just a good general thing because I mean, it, it all depends on who you might run into and what the warden, you know, what kind of mood. But if you come across somebody in the DNR, they don't have to just let you off with a warning because you're an out-of-state hunter and didn't read. Like, if they want to, you know, pin you down and make you pay the fines and, like, teach you a lesson, they have every right to do so. I would say their expectation, if you're out there, that you know what you're doing. Right. So that's your responsibility yeah. as a hunter to so know what's going on. Just thinking, oh, well, I, I'm out of state. I'll just tell them, you know, that that's not necessarily just going to get you off of the warning. You you might get pinched a little bit for that. And in being able to be an ethical hunter, too, I think part of that is, is reading the rules and regulations for the state i think it goes beyond just taking good shots and you know taking care of the game and eating all the meat and all of that stuff i think even just reading through the rules and regulations even if they're all the same just knowing what you're supposed to be doing i think is part of being an ethical hunter i think we all have that responsibility no matter what state you're hunting in so um is there anything that would be different about hunting out of state like stuff 
what, what is your packing routine going to look like? Is it similar to when you're in the same state? Is it a little bit different? Is there other stuff to bring? That's about the same. Um, I don't really do anything different, I don't think. Okay. Do, you ever bring, do you bring doubles a lot of things? farther away from home in case something breaks or no you just double check or triple check and quadruple check and make sure you have it because yeah there's no getting it back if you're four five six hours away yeah. So. right yeah we always have a, a little saying there's a, a tyson's by where we hunt so it's, that's like a fleet farm type of store you know and, and we always say oh you know there's nothing we can't buy at tyson's but that's not the greatest <laughs> mentality to have if you're going to be like going out of state going to a new place somewhere you've never been before you, you kind of want to be a little bit more prepared like that's one thing if you're like oh shoot i gotta go buy some hand warmers or something you can get those most places but some of that other stuff you kind of especially if it's expensive stuff that's more of a necessity like if you forget your climber you can make do with that, but it's probably going to put a damper on some of your plans that you've made. I'd say one thing I always am packing for sure is like just the extra portable charger. Like a lot of times, especially when we're going out of state, like we're hunting all day. Like when we leave the house in the morning, we don't expect to see each other come back until it's dark. And that doesn't mean we like sit in the tree, the same tree stand all day long, but like. When we go out on a piece of property, we might hunt the morning there and realize it's not good, get down, and then now we're scouting and hunting at the same time, trying to find a new spot, set up somewhere different for the afternoon. Or maybe we leave that piece of property, go back to the truck, but we're driving to another one then. We're not going back, stopping for lunch and doing those things. Like, we are committed to hunting the whole day. Yeah. So um, sometimes, more or less, it's making sure you've got everything in the truck. <laughs> right. <laughs> not True. that you brought it into the, <laughs> right. uh, your rental or whatever. Yeah, it's one thing to bring it with, but then to also bring it with with when you're actually out there is a whole other thing. So, but getting back to that, the phone charger thing, just, you know, we're heavily relying on Onyx maps for property boundaries and stuff or, or just being able to communicate with the, the group of guys that you have hunting, even if we're on the same property or different properties whatsoever, just making sure guys got in and out safe or they're set up and, and nothing happened to them or, you know, maybe they shoot a deer and they need some help. Like, you got to right. be able to communicate with each other. You can't have your phone die. Right. Um, I think even if you're one of halfway those... Halfway the day. Yeah, if you're a, a purist of some sort and you're like, wow, you know, you can't be on your phone during the day when you're out there. You, you have to have a way to communicate with people in an emergency. You have to have a way to relay to your group if you shoot one so you can get some help. Like... You gotta have your phone. You gotta have a way to communicate, and you gotta have some backup to make sure that that battery is gonna stay. Because especially if you have an older phone, or even if it's brand new, but it gets really cold, those batteries can drain. Or some of real these places fast. are pretty remote. You just don't get reception, so it just sucks the life and out of them. It's just trying quick. to find it. And it's trying to find it in your battery. Just you can just watch it go yeah. down. Mm -hmm. So just you know having that backup. So hundred percent. Just well, I, like maps to get back out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it turned around in there, and yeah. right, you gotta have it. So I don't, I don't want to do this to you. I don't want to bring up a sore subject, but you had some public land hunting experience this past year, and we gotta talk about it because sure. there was some stuff that went down, and it did not make it on the channel, and that's probably for a reason because we didn't see the deal here. But uh, I mean, you had some some pretty great stories of you know some near near misses on some public land this year we had a heck of a time in minnesota um three of us went over there for gun season and uh four 
well, more than four shots, but four deer were shot at, four bucks were shot at, and zero were um, successfully <laughs> hit, um, including yours truly with two of them. So, uh, yeah, it just, uh, again, going back to getting out of the comfort zone thing, that's like a big theme of mine when you're going on this public land stuff, right? It's just like you got to be willing to do stuff other people aren't willing to do, and then more so like get out of your own way and be willing to do it. So this piece we I had looked at before, and or driven by multiple times and had actually seen some good bucks in it the very very first year we were down there driving by but there was a 20 or 30 foot wide river or creek whatever you want to call it separating the road and the land and the only thing I could think of at the time was like well we don't have a canoe we don't have a floaty whatever um and we actually ended up going and after i had shot my buck in october in wisconsin this year we drove over and, and did a little road just scouting minnesota and we actually stopped at this spot and i can't remember if eli stripped down to his underwear or whatever but he walked in the creek to see how deep it actually was and we figured out we could make it if we had waders so uh this season came and we brought the waders you know and t- it's not comfortable like putting waders on and having water coming up just up above your waist and it's flowing pretty good and you're trying to carry and not drop your gun you got a backpack on and you're got your regular boots and stuff strapped to your backpack and everything not comfortable but that's what it took to get across to access the land so that's what we did and i had (laughs) to make this story even longer i decided I had originally packed my other boots and pants on my backpack and then, oh, that's too heavy. I'll just wear the waders the whole time. I get across the, the creek and then three quarters of a mile later, I was so, I might as well just jumped in the creek. I might as well just swam across. I was so drenched <laughs> in sweat. It was like noon and I remember peeling the waders off and just still like my pants were drenched in oh, from man. sweating so bad, hiking like almost a mile in these waders. Also, real quick, another uh, boot pro tip that Jake and I learned on some public land this year. It's maybe something that could be pretty obvious to anybody else out there, but it took us a little bit of time to think of it. There was a creek we had to cross, and I had, uh, you know, like I had mud, or, mud boots on, like rubber boots, waterproof, and Jake didn't. Cowboy boots right? so, don't. No, don't do well. The, the cowboy boots weren't gonna make it, so. We were both trying to cross, just cross one guy in the boots, take the boots off, throw them back over, and let the next guy cross in the boots. It, it might be obvious to some people out there, but it took us like 10 minutes to think of that, and then all of a sudden it dawned on me, like, what if I just walk across, and I'll take my boots off, get on like some dry leaves or something, throw them back to you, and then you can put them on and walk across. So that's another good pro tip if you have a, a boot fiasco or a waiter fiasco or only one guy's got something. Or just both wear them. It, it uh, would help. Yeah, that might it, help. That, that would help. It's, <laughs> that's a good start. But we didn't know there was going to be water encounters, whatever. So, anyways, back to Yeah, you. so back to this story. I'll try to make it a little quick. I was kind of dabbling. No, no, it's all, good. it's all good. So, uh, I get set up, and I'm just sitting on the ground, um, elevated on a hill, overlooking this uh, brushy bottom, marshy bottom, <clears throat> a bunch of brush and stuff, and tag alders and stuff like that. And early in the morning, I had actually seen... A pretty good buck uh just for a glimpse and i lost him back in the brush a little while later all of a sudden boom he's like at this little pond drinking water about 110 yards away by the time i get the gun up on him 
he's gone back behind the cattails. I'm like, son of a gun. Well, never saw him again the rest of the day. And Eli was hunting a couple hundred half mile down, whatever. He, he ends up coming over and we kind of meet each other just for kind of a midday break, uh, just kind of re-strategize about what's going on. And I'm like, that buck is in there yet. Like I never saw him leave. <clears throat> I feel like I had a vantage point from where I was sitting up on this hill that way I would have seen him leave that area um, if he did. And I said, we should really like probably move down 40 yards in case he comes back to take a drink of water. So we finally did. And we're both sitting there just kind of shooting the, shooting the fat and watching the Packers get beat by the Lions at that time <laughs> on our phone. I mean, how pathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and not really being ready whatsoever, all of a sudden, out of that thick stuff comes blasting a doe. And she comes around and goes right through that water he was drinking at earlier and goes flying up basically right past where I was originally sitting. And I'm like, oh you know what instead of like being smart and like hey get the gun doe came flying out of there probably because a buck was chasing her out we just uh-huh. continued to like nonchalantly sit there <laughs> well a minute later here he comes blasting out of there he's got like cattails in his rack at least 150 class we're scrambling i got my muzzle loader i think he tried to actually scramble and get some camera footage <clears throat> but he's got a shotgun and i get the muzzle loader up and he curls around and he's standing right in the same dang water spot that he was sitting in earlier um and man i thought i had it on him um i just rushed the shot you know it's one of those things where like you knew the doe had just gone through and you're just waiting for him to blast and take off at any second and what i needed to do is just take that extra one or two seconds take a deep breath and get a better squeeze off on the trigger well you know, squeezing off, he immediately kind of flips around and goes right back where he came from. And Eli must have pulled up his shotgun and taken a, tried to do a Texas heart shot or something, but it <laughs> obviously didn't work. Um, so there was that one. Uh, it stings a little bit, but just an awesome encounter, awesome opportunity. Again, yep. me and him were sitting together and had another, we're just kind of looking at each other like, did that just really happen? And like, I wasn't even that upset that I like blew the shot. Like, yeah, you're a little irritated mm-hmm. but you're like holy cow first time we've ever been on this piece something that we thought was going to be really good we put waiters on to get over here and it actually came to fruition yeah uh fast forward that was sunday fast forward to monday and this is where the old group of three swings and misses three times <laughs> you like can tell the story later um on a different podcast but he took a swing at one that he said was bigger than mine he said it was probably in the 160 class miss my buddy uh mike was up he swung and missed at about a 120 uh just out in the cornfield didn't really he was like climbing his tree stand with a climber and he said he normally leaves his gun on the ground and for whatever reason i think he had seen a buck coming across the field or something earlier so he like was climbing the stand with the gun and he was only like six feet off the ground and here it came back across the field uh and he had like a 80 or 100 yard crack at it but he was using a muzzle loader too and he missed and then i was sitting a brand new piece of property i'd never been in this is the one with the million uh burrs yeah or whatever yeah uh, a couple hours later this is like one in the afternoon after i've completely vacated uh burr city and <laughs> found a new spot i was actually ready to climb down i think i had uh disconnected stuff on my climber and i was just about ready to go down and i up above the hill heard 
like, son of a gun, here comes a pretty good buck. And he gets, I don't know, 75 yards up above me right in the clearing. And I squeeze the trigger and my muzzle loader like doesn't go off. It is mm-hmm. like a second delay. Yeah. My fault for not, I had cleaned the barrel, but I did not clean like uh, the breech plug okay. and stuff. And it had that second delay. And I'm sure within that second delay, I kind of went like, what? And then mm-hmm. phew, it fired off and whiff. So there it was. Uh, all of us 0 for 3 on Monday. <laughs> and how big was that last one? Uh, probably in like take? the 120, 125 class, somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah that's that's a tough day. But like you said, You're obviously, deer. It, yeah, it's very encouraging to be on deer and, and know that you did your due diligence finding the spot and then also bringing the waders and putting in the work and getting there. There's obviously some, at least a little bit of a reward in knowing that, even though it didn't work. But also yeah. with a muzzleloader, we haven't hunted with a muzzleloader very much, but that it's a different animal hunting with a muzzleloader. Because like you said... I you really can, like shooting that gun. I just... I, yeah. I don't know. But you can have stuff like that. And if you don't practice with it a lot, like, you know, I don't know how I would react. I've never... I don't think I've ever even shot a muzzleloader, so I wouldn't know... I know that it can happen when you shoot that it doesn't go off right away, but it's, just, it's not like a rifle where it's right. It's just different. Yeah. So there, there's some credit on that. But so what's the deal with that in Minnesota? Is that just like the first weekend is like, it's the counties that were, or the management units we're in. Oh. We're in the Southern half of the state. Okay. Um, and that is like shotgun or muzzleloader only. I, I do believe they have some rifle seasons, but it's more North northern half of the state see right there that's a regulation that you wouldn't necessarily think you're doing anything wrong by having mm-hmm. a rifle out there but if you don't do your your homework and figure that yep. all out so but i mean other than that we can't just talk about that because you had a you had a good season otherwise you shot a couple bucks you got to give yourself a little bit of credit well, here i it? had a heck of a time yeah so i consider that a huge success like yeah i didn't come back with anything in the back of the truck but i mean they have two opportunities on on two bucks, both of them were brand new pieces of uh, property we had never been into before. In fact, all four of them bucks were on properties and tree stands in spots none of us had ever sat before. So that's pretty crazy. Gives us a lot of confidence that like we're pinpointing the right things, looking for yep. the right things, uh, getting ourselves in the right spot. And it, I don't know. It was just it's a lot of fun. It it, it really is. Uh, I saw some cool stuff. I mean, even earlier that Monday, the the day two of miss for me, I had. Before that buck, earlier in the morning, had ventured out onto a ridge point and had a small buck chase a doe down a ridge, all the way up the other ridge, and then back down again, straight below me, like at the very, very bottom of the gully, and that doe came, I was sitting on the ground, and she came sprinting up to the point, and she was like stopped eight yards away from me and had no clue I was there, and her tongue's hanging out, and she's turning around, and you can just see like the look in her eyes, like that she's getting dogged by this little, it was awesome to just be on the ground eight yards away she has no clue right tongues hanging out you can just see the breath coming out of her that she's breathing and then to see this little like three-pointer come up same <laughs> deal his eyes are bulging out of his head he has no clue what planet he's on he's just all he thinks about his tail right now yeah. you know and and he comes to the same spot eight yards away looks at me and i swear to god i probably could have swung around put the gun on him and he wouldn't have cared because all he cared about was that doe yeah but just to have that encounter, like, right next to you, super cool. I had a lot of good memories from that trip and just a great time. In the Wisconsin gun season, you obviously saw a lot of deer. You got to sit with Eli a little bit. Yeah. 
Wisconsin gun season was great. Got to sit with Eli. Uh, he came up to our cabin. We sat together in one of our uh, redneck soft-sided blinds we got sitting 10, 10 feet up in the air. My brother from Georgia was up. Um, so we had a full deer camp for like the first time in, I don't know, 15 years probably. That's pretty cool. Where all of us were, th were there. So yeah. shot a, just a solid uh, standard Clark County 8 point, I think I said, is that's exactly what it was on opening day at, I don't know, what was that, like 12.30, 1 o'clock, I think, something yeah. like that. So. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's, I mean, that's Wisconsin gun season. It's more about the camaraderie and having the, yeah. the whole atmosphere of, you know, deer camp and all of that. Everybody's so up there. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's more about that than it is about the trophy. I feel like that's kind of come back around, too, in recent years. I notice we talk about social media earlier and some of the posting that goes on and all that. I noticed this year more so like people being very congratulatory of guys who didn't shoot a 150 inch deer but just shot a nice eight pointer and got to share the memories with brothers and dads and all of that stuff like that it was kind of more about that recently yep. good to see that's, some yeah, of that that's good stuff because especially with bow season it can be a lot more like i don't want to say trophy hunting but obviously like trying to hunt the biggest deer and social media can sort of perpetuate that a little bit where it's like you know, you could find people out there who will yell at you for shooting anything less than a 150 or, or anything less than a, what they think the deer is age-wise or whatever. So to be able to have that for gun season is also pretty cool. So it was some stuff you're saying there. You know why Minnesota was so, or just going out of state for me is so fun and why it's just so energizing and fun to me is there's no expectation. Right. There, I don't have... We don't run any trail cameras. I don't have like, oh, I've been following this 160 all summer. And I'm holding out for that one. I don't. We don't have any pattern on any buck. We don't have any expectation of what we're going to see. We know there's some quality deer over there. But we're going out there to hunt, to have fun. And then whatever comes by and you get a little excited about, like, you're ready to, you know, yeah. you're out there to, it's to, just the cherry to on top. put one down. Yeah, it's a cherry on top. So that's been really kind of like, like I said, energizing versus like, you know, you're hunting your private piece and that's fun and great and all, but like mm -hmm. so much more of it has become, well, what's your target deer? What's your hit list? And if it's not on that, then, you know, who cares or whatever, but, yep. or you got to get them to such and such an age class. Whereas yep. we're going over there and again, there's just, there's no expectation. There's, I mean, who cares what you shoot? Right. And then earlier this year, uh, you know, a bit of a nicer buck on your, permission spot like we talked about rattling him in you know what was that nine in the morning i think nine o'clock yep and that was also sitting with eli which is pretty cool anytime you can sit with your buddy like that yeah we had a lot of fun i mean uh every shot i fired this year he was sitting next to me yeah that's crazy <laughs> so he was there to film the the bow buck in wisconsin uh, he was sitting with me for the swing and a miss in minnesota and then uh was sitting with me for the gun buck in Wisconsin. We sounds like we need to sit together more often. I guess so. Apparently, that's yeah. Pretty that's the buck. formula. And and so that one was all. Um, you know, I got a lot of footage on that one. That one was good. So that's a video uh, that's out on our YouTube channel. You can watch that. And then the gun season one. Um, Eli did get a little bit of footage. I know at first it was like I don't know if he got any, but you can see the deer that you shot. It's just like, you know, he's running through and it's in like the top corner. Yep. It's not perfect, but I mean, all things considered, 
considering the situation and him just kind of running through and taking a quick shot at him when he stops for a second. I, like That was a Chinese flyer, Yeah, We were sitting in opposite spots, and I finally figured out, I was like, why were we sitting? And I finally remembered is, remember that day it was so windy? It was super mm-hmm. cold, and it was blowing like 40 miles an hour. I was in a Horrible. tree stand, not in well, I was line. sitting on the left, and the wind was coming from the west, and I had to take a piss. So you're not going to pee out that window into a 40-mile-an-hour <laughs> right. wind. So we had switched so I could pee out that window of the blind. <laughs> and then we just happened to sit back down in those chairs. And, of course, that's when something would happen, right? When, yep, you're, of when you're doing something it's, different, you've only been yep. sitting there for six hours and nothing <laughs> has happened. Wouldn't be a good story otherwise. Right? So then it was... Uh, and we also kind of talk about, like, why didn't we just switch the guns? Like, why did we have to go back to our original spot? Yeah. But uh, we just did, and that's uh, that's how it went. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah, but, that, you know, that's one of my favorite videos, probably my favorite from this season, just having the two of you guys in there. It made for some funny moments in the blind, and you guys saw a lot of deer, and putting that one together was fun because it had your buck in there, and then, um, also Eli's buck and some more footage of the actual shot and lead up on his but just when you put it all together it really showed you know the Wisconsin gun season the time that you guys had and it was it was all pretty cool it so was that was one of my favorite videos from this year so we, we kind of laugh about one of the concerns Eli had expressed in that video was are we going to have enough teepee to make it through the yes. day <laughs> yes which is like if you would spend any time hunting with me or him you kind of know that's a regular occurrence at some point and i'm happy to report there was not a slab of teepee that had to be used that day we made it the entire day with no, no way nature walks <laughs> i know stand, so I, I remember that too now you say yeah he's talking about i don't even know how you guys stood up that day i was so cold i didn't even get up at all it was just horrible it was cold i was sitting in a tree stand the whole day yeah i know no I was, heater no wall i didn't no have a roof. heater i had i had a little wall but did you have your heated bodysuit i did yeah that's but it a was horrible <laughs> i had no cell service i was just stuck down there i'm just up there in my tree and i got I, well, oh. on the video my face compared to eli's is like beat yes red. and my skin kind of naturally gets that way but i'm taking the wind the whole time sitting on the left from the west through the window and he's sitting over here just fine you, you know? can tell just looking at it yeah. how cold it is it, that came through on the camera it, yeah, and I upgraded my gear this year. You know, I got some good first light stuff, and it was great. But there's not much you can there's do in those conditions. Like you, you can't put enough on. That's why that early season's so great. Everybody says you can't take enough off, but I, I'd, I'd rather be sweating out there than dealing with those conditions. That was miserable. <laughs> that was so bad, so bad. But then again, it's you know days like that that you remember, and then the stories that come about from that that make it all worth it and that's Absolutely. why we why we do what we do yeah for the stories like that and the memories like that and being able to share it with one of your closest friends it's it's a good time it was yeah well we really appreciate you coming on today it's getting a little bit late here um and i'm sure you know you're welcome anytime so i'm sure you'll be back absolutely it's been a lot of fun can't wait to do more yeah so and always up for talking deer it was a little bit of a rookie amateur hour here with the two mics it just you know we didn't get things it out. set up ahead of time we made it work but next time i i promise we will have it all fully professionally set up we'll get all the independent <laughs> mics going we will we'll get it down and uh you know hopefully we can get eli on too at some point whether it's on a zoom call or, or in person he can share his side of the story and 
impart some of his wisdom. So, anything else you got for us? Any any closing words? No, just same same thing I was said a couple of times. Get out of your comfort zone. Don't just go to the same box blind that sits over a food plot. Don't just hunt that fifteen times a year. Go do something different. If if it if you haven't been having success or just looking for a new challenge or something to do, like get out of your comfort zone and go do something different. Whether it's, you know, buying a climber and just being mobile on your own property, checking out a piece of public close to your, close to you. So it gives you another option. Go knock on a few doors. Like uh, what's the worst thing you're going to say? No. Right. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. and then just go, if, when you do these new experiences, expect to fail and be okay with it because that's the only way you're going to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, realize you're going to have to take some lumps along the way in order to have success. So, Yeah, couldn't have said it better myself. Well, thanks a lot for being on, Colby. You bet. It was a ton thanks of for fun. having me. We'll uh, look forward to having you on again soon. And uh, thank you guys for watching. Thank you for listening. Uh, remember, you can find our podcast. You can watch it on our YouTube channel, Buck Fever Outdoors. And it's available to listen pretty much anywhere you get our podcasts. I know a couple episodes ago we talked about everywhere that it's up. Uh, We got it up on a couple more spots now. If you're looking for it somewhere and you can't find it, let us know. And we'll see what we can do about getting it up there. But it should pretty much be available to listen anywhere. Um, Anything you can do as far as rating goes. I know on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, it's a huge deal. Uh, If you like the show and you want to see us have more guests on and keep doing this if you can give us those good reviews that really helps us out a ton um and on youtube obviously hitting the like button leaving comments subscribing to the channel it's uh it's kind of what makes our world go around and keeps us in business keeps us doing what we love and we love doing this stuff and bringing these podcasts out for you guys so thank you for watching thank you for listening colby thank you for being on here today you betcha. appreciate it yeah we'll see you guys next time